Hi everyone! Today on What's My Frame, I'm joined by casting director Lisa Zambetti. Lisa began her creative journey as an actor, working on and off Broadway for a number of years, before meeting casting legend Billy Hopkins, who opened her eyes to the wonders of the casting world, and the rest, as they say, is history. Her insight and personal experience as an actor is evident in how she now works with actors in auditions. Lisa went on to work with some of the top casting directors in Los Angeles before moving on to the world of procedural drama, where she was an associate and later head casting director of CBS's long-running show, Criminal Minds. Today, Lisa shares with us her extensive insight into the casting process, how things have changed in this new hybrid world. She also shares her insight into the often misunderstood world of video game casting and what an incredible opportunity and door-opening job that can be. For those that want to learn more about Lisa's insight, you're in luck. She coaches as well as offers multi-week workshops through her website. And if that wasn't enough, Lisa somehow also finds time to host two podcasts. And for fans of true crime, I highly recommend these shows. Both are linked in the show notes below. Without further ado, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on What's My Frame. We're so glad you're here. Thank you. It's so nice to meet you. We have, we have a mutual, wonderful friend in Jeremy Gordon, the yes. casting director. And so anybody who he thinks is good because he's a tough crowd must be a wonderful, gentle spirit. So it's great to meet you. Oh, thank you. That is that is very kind. Uh, Jeremy and I clicked over love of animals and uh, he is he is without question good people. Would you mind starting us out with your journey into casting? What drew you to that part of the industry and just a little bit about yourself? Oh my goodness. Okay, I'll try to keep it short. No, I'm sure nobody wants to hear this. Okay. As long as it's the tall of the building as you want, the floor is yours. <laughs> no, yeah, no problem. I mean, um, so I was an actor for a bazillion years in New York. I acted, I was so lucky I acted on Broadway and then off Broadway, off, off Broadway, so off Broadway. It's called Montauk. It is literally as far east as you can go without falling off the contiguous United States. But anyway, so, and I worked regionally and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then uh, there was, you know, I think for a lot of people, and I think through COVID, we've learned this, that crisis can equal clarity. And if you go through a crisis, it is immediately clear if you need to change jobs, change careers, uh, change your domestic partnership or whatever, you know, whatever. So, you know, I came to that kind of point where I was like, I need to pivot. And um, wow, I just, it was like, talk about being woke. I mean, all of a sudden, like the blinders came off my eyes and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, casting is just perfect. Um, for me, because I know how to talk to actors, obviously. I've been a director for a long time in theater, so I, I, I can talk to, and I was a playwright, and so I kind of have vocabulary from all of those things. And so when I, when I pivoted and I started interning for a very, very famous um, casting director in New York City, um, I realized very quickly that it was just the perfect thing for me um, because for me as even at, you know even when I was on Broadway uh, for my bright you know brief shining moment there it was really the collaboration and rehearsal that I really loved and then once it kind of got time to performing 
I sort of lost the interest in it, especially over a long run, you know, and, and so that, that should really, you know, that really told me like, okay, you know, the pinnacle of what you kind of set out to do goal wise, and you're not still not happy. So um, anyway, so it was a great pivot, but as an actor and any actor listening to this will understand once you're on that side of the table, you're so curious as to how decisions get made and what's the magic formula to being cast. And so that was very, very interesting to learn what that is and what it is not. So that's kind of my journey in a little nutshell. That's amazing. And I, I always love when someone is in the creative molding of the clay side of things that has an acting background because they do communicate in a very similar way. Going right off of that, what was the biggest things that you saw that casting was and was not? Because I think often we talk about the surface level of casting and we don't really talk about the day in and day out grind and process and decisions and all that. Well, I think that you need to know that the team, you know, the director and the writer and the producers and the casting director and his or her team, it's all a process for them too. That even though we have these meetings about what we want, what the director says he or she wants, what the writer says he or she wants, you almost don't know what you want until you start seeing it until you know you start seeing the tapes and seeing how the the material fits into somebody's mouth and into their body into the rhythm so while it is true that you know a lot of times casting directors make straight offers for things when you get to a certain level and all that um really there's a chemistry and alchemy to it that you don't know until you start the project and the process so that's something that i think i wish more actors no because sometimes you put out the breakdown and by the time you actually start casting and then those you know then you get to the producing session kind of the concept of the character might change a little bit and and as you start casting the other roles the remaining roles you know they change too because it's all kind of this puzzle you're putting together so if an actor is trying to figure out oh god what do they want what do they want so you know, in my experience, we don't always, even though we say we know what we want, we don't know until, you know, we're really waiting for you to show us what, what we should want. You know, how do you see this role? And yes, you do all your research and you do all your prep and everything, but ultimately you're coming in, we're giving you a slot to show us, this is how the role should go. Um, so being able to take that empowerment and agency, I think is really important and, you know, maybe, and yeah, sure. You may get redirected. You may be off the mark. You may be doing things in a way we were really out of the box and, and really is blowing our minds and we still don't cast you, but you should try to take control and not come from a place of, I have to please, I have to please, you know? I always think it's a little bit dangerous and I love that you just talked about how that it's it's ever evolving and changing and one thing changing can change other things. I always think it's really dangerous when friends of mine that are actors get auditions and they second guess casting and they're like, well, I'm not going to get this. I don't know why they, they asked for my tape. This is, this is like, I'm not going to book this and they're dismissive from the start. And I'm, I'm a big person of mindset and I think you're not going to book it if that's your attitude going in. Um, but also if you turn it down, you might be missing an opportunity. Could you shine a little bit of a light or expand on that of if you've asked for the tape, I feel like you go without saying, um, there's a reason for it, but could you, um, you share maybe like 
due to the time constraints, why that the breakdown hasn't been updated so that we can see they have changed the age by five years or, you know, whatever it may be. Well, that has to do a lot with the people who are submitting. So your agents and managers are sometimes going to submit you for things that were like, that are outside of the box. And that's, that's okay. You know, we want to be creative too. We don't want to just be casting the same person who has always played the same role over and over again. That's not super interesting for us. And sometimes we get pitched that like, well, this, you know, series regular or this, you know, heavily, uh, very successful guest star always plays this or has always played that. And it's like, yeah, I know. And so I'm not, you know, I really would love to cast them in something else. Do you have a client who maybe has never done that? So that's, that's one thing. And yeah, sometimes after the breakdown goes out, I mean, we just don't have time always to go and re-release it. And we're getting a broad submission anyway. I mean, agents, you know, or even after, if you're self-submitting, you know, sometimes submit themselves for things. It's like, well, I don't know. You know, sometimes that's okay because, you know, we want to try, we want to try you. It doesn't hurt anyone to ask for the self-tape, take a look at it and go, ah, we try that's not quite the vibe we're going through or or whatever um and sometimes we're like hey we cast that we put this out as having to be male but there's really no reason why it can't be any gender you know so we may be more inclusive or or you know whatever it is if you yeah if you get it look if you get an audition for something that you just don't like this role that's one thing yeah. you know um but if it's something that's like wow I didn't see myself like this let me, I mean I hear that in my classes that I teach all the time like Lisa you have to help me because I'm not somebody who can do procedurals I'm not somebody who can play a detective and it's like well you can of course you can go go out and look at people who are real detectives and real doctors and real this and real that you know yeah. don't put yourself don't don't exclude yourself from an entire genre of roles um it's just you have to think of it in a different way like what if you laura instead of you know becoming an actress you went to med school or you went to the police academy or you you know went enlisted into the army or the navy or became a lawyer what would that be like what would your life be like and then of course you could be any of those things you know so um so if an actor gets you know something they're like oh I'll never get this really trust that the casting director has an inkling that I think I've read the whole script. I've read all the material. And I think that this role and this project needs this kind of energy. So don't prove me wrong. Prove me right. You know? Um, and even if you don't get it, even if you just roll your eyes and go, oh, that was a waste of half an hour, you know, trying to get my type tape together. If you do a great job, I'm going to remember you and I'm going to want to bring you back and I want to reward you for good work by continuing to give you, you know, bites at the apple so to speak. So, um, you know, unless there's something in the content that you really object to or, you know, or whatever, if your heart is just really not into it, then, you know, of course, as an artist, you have to make that decision if you're going to, you know, take the time to, to work. But I mean, this is what you say you want to do. You say you want people to watch you and it's literally my job to watch you. And this is your chance to act. So I would try to just look at it like that. Um, see what happens I I completely agree I always think that there's there's no need to second guess or knock yourself out of an opportunity because I know I have been fortunate enough to I've seen the tape that I submitted and I've seen what I look like on set and it's a world apart and like you all see something that I'm not privy to and 
especially in the fast paced world that we live in now and the very secretive world, we just have to trust that, you know, what we see, there's something, there's something expanded beyond that. So I would like to talk about that because you were, how many seasons on Criminal Minds? I know it's 138 episodes. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> well, well, I did seven seasons and then we're coming back to the show actually um, wrapped and then now it's actually coming back. So um, I don't know how many more seasons there will be, but at least one more season. So I'm really glad about that. But yes. Awesome. So when you are seeing so many actors, because Criminal Minds is a show where there's, there's big guest cast. Yeah. Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. You saw me. You saw me scrambling. Uh, mm-hmm. A large, a large guest cast that you're working on week in and week out. How do you, you know, supplement your memory? How do you keep track of who you've seen and whose performance you liked, or maybe that they're more suited for something different down the road? Well, when we had a physical office, oftentimes we'd have something called a sweetheart wall, which sounds kind of weird. That's so cute. um, Oh, I love that. I know. So it's like, if I saw somebody in a play, or obviously this is before the end of times that we're living in now, but, um, or, you know, somebody came in and they just did a great audition, but I didn't get it or, or whatever. Sometimes we had a wall of tacking up just tons of actors' headshots to say, let's keep them at front of mind, you know? But then, you know, that, and that's a literal wall, but then again, um, there's just the cash in your brain. Now I'm really, one of my philosophies is that this business takes place much more on a sub, uh, subconscious level than a frontal cortex level. So for example, if I'm going through a submission for one role and I could get, you know, 1500 to 3000 submissions for one role. And yes, I'm scrolling through, you know, looking at every face and on a subconscious level, I may not remember where I know this actor from, but my gut, you know, is like, okay, click, click them, click them, you know, as I'm going through. And some people I am, oh yes, it's, it's Laura Linda Bradley. Yes. Let's, let's, you know, let's click her for now as I'm going through. But some of it is just like sort of a split second decision. Sometimes you'll be like, oh yes, I remember they've come in for us so many times. They're wonderful. Or, oh, I I haven't seen that person in a while. You know, it's, it's just a very gut instinctual process people say, oh, should I send postcards back in the day? And I think, yes, you should, or little thank you cards that have your face on it, because all of that sort of is accumulating imprint on when it comes time to be making choices, um, that that can be very helpful. Um, So yeah, I mean, and, you know, we do keep notes in our, um, in our session sheets, I could go back to an old session, if I, you know, if I had the time, and I really want it, like, I don't remember, if I like this actress or not, and I go back to when they came in last for me and I may see some notes that I took. Um, or we have like, in my office, we always have little codes, like one star, big, oh, big heart, you know, whatever, you know, I'm very visual that way. So um, big smiley face with exclamation points. It's like, oh, I must've really liked this actor, you know? Um, so it's, but everybody is different. There are other casting directors who take literal notes, um, within the software that we use for those submissions, they might have extensive private notes on somebody in what we call breakdown or in, you know, their casting workbooks or whatever. 
um, everybody kind of has their own their own system. With everything good, there is the other side of the coin. Was there a list of factors that either were disrespectful to somebody coming in and at, you know, at the front desk when they were checking in or is there a way that you all notated when you were like, no, like this person's not ready? Because I think it's really important for actors to be mindful of not only doing good work, but being good people, because you all are the front lines that are going to be sending these people to set to be working with someone for 12 to 14 hours. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be with an asshole. (laughs) Well, that's so important. And what you said are really two different things. Um, An actor who is disrespectful, who is already before they're even cast, you know, treating my assistant or my associate or the people in the waiting room badly. um, That is a big red flag for me. And no matter how talented they are, I would be uh, very reluctant to move them forward if my assistant was like, oh my gosh, you should have heard the way they were or seen the way they were comporting themselves. They were being very unkind. They were being very demanding. Like, where's a stapler for my headshot? Or where is the bathroom or this place? You know, anyway. Yeah, Um, we have all seen that in the way. Yeah, Yeah. you know, that's one thing. Um, Unfortunately, that's not that common in our experience, but maybe that's because we just are calling in really wonderful people um now the other issue and so that's just something that we would keep in the back of our minds and and um yeah I mean there's so many actors there why would we why would we put somebody who's unkind and maybe volatile and maybe you know is um so ambitious that it's making their behavior really you know it's not going to be helpful on set. Why would I put them on set with my beloved series regulars or my beloved director or, or my beloved show? I just, that doesn't seem to make sense. Now, the other issue is if they're not ready. Now, that is a really interesting thing because for me, it's like not about actors who are good or actors who are bad. I, I, I really feel like no matter who you are as an actor, there is one role that you can kill. I mean, and it may not be a role on my show that I that I'm going to be able to cast you on, um, but you do want to, you know, keep giving people chances, keep checking in with how people's skills are coming along, you know, and you know, I have a lot of roles that are like uh, a cop or a barista or a nurse who it's not a huge, you know, line burdened role but you know you you want to give people chances to get that first co-star and stuff and so you'll keep trying people just to see have they settled into themselves are they less nervous are they um have they just got you know, obviously more confidence and have done a lot more work have, uh, i mean uh, studying and and uh working with this kind of material so they can come in and be effortless and authentic so yeah you always want to um you don't always have time to see, to re-see a lot of people, but of course you want to keep giving people a chance, especially when you see that potential. It's like, oh, they just need to get out of their own way. Oh, they just need to get into a good, you know, maybe emotional availability class or just a good technical class so they can be smoother. It is such a multifaceted, all the stars have to align. It's not just being here. It's not just being union. It's not just having great headshots. It's it's all the stars magically aligning for your part. I've seen so many new actors because there's always faces coming in and and leaving LA, sadly. Um, Do you have a favorite audition story from either discovering someone or just someone that you had brought in several times and just trying to find that right role for them? And this can be on any, any project. 
Yeah, you know, there are so many people who, um, you know, for criminal minds, it's such a particular kind of key that you're trying to unlock with each role that you can keep bringing actors back in 10, 12, 13, 14 times and until they finally are the key that the director wants to use for this lock, you know, so to speak. And so when that happens, we just are cheering, right? And we're so happy for you, but it can take a few times. And that's a lot to ask for an actor, especially on drama, because you might have to prepare some really gut-wrenching material, you know, and I mean, now it's a little easier. You don't have to drive all the way down to the you know, and keep your emotions going all the way on your drive through the valley to get to whatever office and sit in the waiting room with everybody and try to keep your focus. Now you can do that at home, which hopefully is a little bit easier. Um, but it can take a really, you know, a long time. Luckily on my, on Criminal Minds, where um, a wonderful actor came in and he just delivered this fantastic monologue and it was so moving and gut-wrenching. And, uh, but he didn't get that particular role. But of course, on a procedural, you know, next the following week, we had a very similar role of somebody who had a gut-wrenching, you know, gut-punching monologue to deliver. And that particular director, I was like, hmm, here's this guy, what do you think? Uh, you know, he auditioned last week. And so the director just watched him and went like, oh, gosh, he's amazing. Yes, let's him. Let's just, let's just cast him. We don't have to even, he doesn't have to audition with the new material, you know. And, you know, that's not a lazy thing to do. That's like recognizing somebody who you can see can bring it. They're already where they need to be. And so then that's such a happy call to make to somebody's agent saying, oh, by the way, they're cast. If they're available, they can have this role, you know. So that happens, you know, every once in a while. It's not super often, but it, it happens. And um, that's why you just always, you never know what seeds you're planting with good work. You just have to trust that, this is a, you know, this is a career, Laura, that I always try to explain to people is just not like any other career that has a linear progression. It's not a meritocracy. It's not, you know, A to B to C. It's really start at Y, go back to J, go to Z, you know, or actually it's very circular. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a spiral. So yeah. um, you just have to sort of retrain your brain about what will pay off and what won't and you almost can't even worry about that because there are so many things on our side of the table that you have no control over that we don't even sometimes have any control over actors that we're rooting for that we think are perfect maybe for whatever reason and it could be a very um, superficial reason or it could be a very deep reason they just are not going to go for and we have to continue our search or you know shift gears in a different direction so you do have to just focus on what you can control you know and how much you enjoy what you can control and there is no shame at all um to saying you know what this is not for me and it's never going to be for me because I can tell you that even when you get you know more established in your career and you work more it can get even more frustrating after you've been a booking actor, if sometimes that dries up or, or you can't break out of a certain lane that you're in, or, you know, you're, it's almost never going to be satisfying the way a linear link by link career might be satisfying for somebody. So you just have to say no loss, no foul, nothing, you know, it's nothing wrong if you don't have the long view, if you can't um, be happy 
in this kind of, and it's the same, it, and the same is kind of true for casting directors. You know, you can, we have to hustle for our own jobs too. We have to audition, so to speak, for our own jobs too. And it's, it's not, um, you know, I could get, I could be uh, campaigning for a certain job, knocking on that door, knocking on the door. It never opens. And then I get a call from out of the blue from a, you know, a, a independent filmmaker that I worked on something 15 years ago that this film never, you know, saw the light of day, but now he's in a much more powerful position or she's in a much more powerful position. They're like, Hey, you know, I have this project, let's do it. So it's, it's just not for the faint of heart, you know, and that's okay. No. And, and I appreciate you pointing that out and to enjoy what you have control over. I haven't heard it put quite that way, but that's so true. Are you actively teaching now? Yeah, I teach at a lot of different um, studios and every once in a while I just offer on my website, you know, you can sign up for a class with me or a coaching with me. And we just finished a fantastic three week class in drama, you know, drama roles and oh my gosh, so much talent. And I try to keep the classes small so we can really, um, work on you know large guest star scenes and really break them down and, and stuff like that so yeah so on my website you know I, I usually post when I'm going to do the next one a lot of people are uh well we're all kind of tired which is understandable from the last two years um and I, I hear a lot of times from actors that they're even more so in their head because of the disconnect that they feel from casting um, when they are asked for a self-tape and mm -hmm. they, they don't. And I think it is um, an opportunity to get tripped up when you're trying to assume what they want and then put yourself in that box versus just you bringing what you instinctively do. But when do you think is right for your office to either send an email and ask a question, uh, send a second take. If you truly feel like there's a fork in the road, like how do you think is the best way to navigate when we are doing self-tapes? You can always be talking to your agent and um, they can ask questions for you. So if you have a question about, wait, does this have a dialect or doesn't it? Or uh, maybe, you know, oftentimes there are typos in the you know, in the sides and you're like, I'm really, I don't understand one minute she says this and the next minute she says this. And so, you know, getting clarity on, you know, your agent can always very, you know, nicely get clarity for you and stuff like that. But, um, and by the way, I mean, while, you know, majority of offices are doing, um, requesting self-tapes for in place of pre-reads or sometimes in place of producer reads too. Not everybody is. So, you know, I just did a project where I did both, I requested self-tapes and I did a, a certain amount of Zoom auditions just like this, where you read for me and I taped you and stuff like that. And then our producer sessions are all live. So you will be live in front of one, two, three, maybe more people. Some of them may be on camera, maybe off camera. So there is connection happening. It's not the same, but I actually have come to think that this is actually a better opportunity for actors than coming live in the room um, for a variety of reasons that we need to get into. But um, so, I, I mean, as far as feeling connected, okay. So if you have any issues, definitely have your agent ask. Um, I don't really see any problem with, unless they say, only submit one take there's really no issue to submitting two if artistically you're like 
if, if you feel, really feel like there are two different ways that you want to show how this person, this character, not that you're going to show two totally different characters, but maybe two different tones of the character or sizes to the character, um, something like that. I mean, there's, I don't see any downside to submitting it because casting doesn't have to watch it right they can just say well whatever the first file is that's what I'm going to watch and yeah. you know they may just watch the first 30 seconds of one and the first 30 seconds of the other and go okay so so it's a minute out yeah. of their time I mean so I don't see any downside if it's something that makes you feel more complete when you're doing your submission mm -hmm. um, you can also you know practice live with somebody Get on Zoom and practice with your acting group, practice with your coach, practice with your friend, with your agent. So you do have that sort of immediate feedback and everybody's feedback is going to be different, but at least you have somebody reacting to you. Um, and then roll the dice and it. But, you know, you will have to be in front of people. It's not going to be all self-tapes all the time. And especially if you're going out for commercial audition, they've, they've been in person for almost the entire pandemic. So you will get that up, but it's good for you if you feel safe to go out, be in an acting class that is in person. They are happening. Be yeah. in an improvisation class that is in person. They are definitely happening. So you have to feed what you're not getting from the self-tape experience. Keep feeding it with you know the rest of your acting process. You've touched on it a little bit, finding people, how your process has changed. For example, I went to the theater last night and I at the Pasadena Playhouse where I saw Uncle Vanya and there was uh, there was one person I didn't realize I knew who was in the cast who she was amazing Chelsea Kurtz was amazing but then there was a whole bunch of other people that I I didn't know and I'm absolutely in love with this actor named Hugo Armstrong I mean I don't I can't believe I don't already know him anyway so that's one way um, uh, so I've been going to more theater lately but really I think and maybe this is something you already know, Laura, maybe it's not, but I meet a lot of new people when I do short films, when I do little indie projects that have no budget that a lot of agents and managers don't really submit for because they're not paying. So a lot of casting directors, professional casting directors cast those AFI theses and NYU whatever's and, you know, um, or just um shorts that are like I'm doing one right now for film independent which they do the independent spirit awards and they have um this whole arm that will give uh that that will produce short films and so I've done many many projects for them and so that's my opportunity to really open it up to actors access for submissions or or you know whatever platform um and meet new people that I would never have come across because um they would have been just sort of in a huge pool yeah. Um, but now, but then they either self-submit or maybe they have very savvy agents who are like, oh, this, this script sounds amazing. My client needs to, you know, get at least some great tape and meet some great, you know, up and coming producers. And, and so when somebody comes in on a project, even if I don't end up casting them, I'm so grateful that they're coming in for those small projects that maybe aren't paying or pay deferred or just a small, you know, ultra low budget scale, you know, $100 a day, $200 a day. Um, I'm so grateful that I want to bring them along with me when I have other projects. And so a lot of people that I end up seeing, you know, exploding 
in their careers, you know, started because I saw, I mean, I'm not taking all this credit, but you know, they really started because I saw them or in an audition for uh, a short film. I maybe got them their first co-star on a TV show and then boom, boom, they parlay that into a guest star, you know, on something else and they're just discovered, you know, um, which is great. And that's great when that can happen and that that's a trajectory that is very satisfying going from A to B, but you know, of course that's not gonna last. But anyway, um, so that's how I, I meet people. And I, I also, um, I, I watch things that are on YouTube. I watch things on Funny or Die. I've, you know, started watching things you know, that come across my Instagram feed. There's this one uh, actor that I'm, I've become obsessed with because she's so hilarious and she does all these great impressions and I just love watching her. Um, so that is helpful if, I, if I'm seeing talent, not just people like trying to light their ball hair on fire or whatever, you know, for shock value. <laughs> um coming across my although that doesn't come across my Instagram feed I'm just being you know that's more of a TikTok thing anyway that's more of a TikTok thing yes um but um yeah getting you know making your own work putting it out there in a quality way and you know letting me know like hey this thing just got into this this online festival or my short is premiering on like I have a short right now that I did um that is on HBO Max I had no idea that it was even gonna you know screen there so um yeah yeah I I loved that when I saw your IMDb and I was doing a deep dive I loved and we'll talk a little bit about video games later, but the diversity of the projects that you're working on, it, it got me really excited because you are meeting really different actors and at different places in their career. And I'm sure there must be a sense of, of pride and joy to see them go from one stage to the next to the next. It, it's really exciting to see so many of the streaming platforms where they are so hungry for content and we mm-hmm. as consumers have been consuming it for the last two years nonstop that they are starting to do more short programs um, and short festivals or you know whole sections of the platform to to showcase that and they're finally getting I think the spotlight that they deserve beyond what people were doing them as a stepping stone to a feature or a representation or anything like that I would love to talk about your work in video games and how that casting mirrors but also differs from tv film because I, I i know very little about that world i thought that was really exciting it's so exciting and now if you don't play video games you're not even gonna understand what you're gonna be like what are you talking about now i don't play video games and the first time i was hired to work on one i was like what are you talking about are we gonna have actors just jumping around and shooting things and what is that so i didn't know anything about cut scenes so these are scenes these are filmed scenes within the games that are the most beautiful love stories and the most beautiful hate stories and you know combat scenes but also very very nuanced scenes I mean it's just like any great storytelling um, video games have scenes in them um, really fully developed scenes and these scenes are um, what I cast I don't really do VO casting per se, but I cast um, motion capture and performance capture and likeness capture. And those are three very different things. So that means that if you're cast, it's you. It's you in the game. That's you. That's your face. I mean, some you. there is one very famous video game that I worked on, Jedi Fallen Order, where um, Cameron 
Monahan, who, if you watch Shameless, he was one of the brothers, the brother with the red hair. So he came in and auditioned for me and he was fantastic. And if you go and watch scenes from that video game, it's him with his red hair and his, you know, it's 100% him, you know, animated or, you know, whatever you want to call it. But, um, and so anyway, those, so those are some of the best roles that an actor can play because you could be playing, you know, a hero in any time period. Um, you could be playing a monster or you could be playing a, I mean, obviously a superhero or somebody that transforms from one thing to another. So especially for theater trained actors, it's just a great, great play space because, you know, when you cast, when you're on a video game set, there's nothing there. It's all there, There's no airplane there. The thing that you're jumping into or crawling through, it's not really there. You know, you're just kind of in a black box theater grid, basically. And you have to create the walls and the tunnel you're crawling through and the spaceship you're on. So it's a really great place for people who trained in theater, all those great movement classes, all those great vo voice classes, all those great uh, viewpoints and composition classes um, to use those skills. But at the same time, because the camera on the video game, well, it's all around you, but it's right in your face. Like it's so close that you not only have to have great theater training, but you have to have a great sense of cinema and to be very intimate at the same time. And those are two opposing skills. So that's what is so cool about it is you have to be intimate and intense and nuanced and internal. Um, yet at the same time, your acting presence has to be powerful enough to penetrate all the code that they're writing over you. So it's just a fantastic, I mean, the scenes, like if you, if you, you know, I do teach a video game class and it's so much fun because we create our own video game characters and then I give them real scenes from past video games and it's, they're the best love stories in the world. They're the most, you know, compelling um, conflicts and the bad guys and bad women are the worst and, and the good guys and the good women are, you know, and it could be, it could be set in a Western, you could be set in outer space. It could be a Western in outer space. It could be a military genre on a new planet. I mean, there is just no, there's just no end to um, the worlds, yeah. right? So, and it's also a, a job that keeps on giving because it takes so long to make a video game. Um, you could do um, a few scenes. You'll basically be working almost all year because you'll do some scenes, they'll go away and build the architecture and then you'll come in and maybe you'll do a voiceover but then you'll do another scene. And then, so it's a really, it's a game that kind of, it's a job that kind of keeps on giving all year long. And sometimes they shoot here, sometimes they shoot in Europe, sometimes they shoot, you know, all over the US in Canada. So it's a really great world to uh, jump into. If you that can. is Fascinating. Well, you already answered my next question, which mm -hmm. was how does someone learn more about this? So we're, we're going to come to your class, obviously. Obviously. I'm, I'm geeked out about this now because uh, the little boy that I used to nanny for was very obsessed with video games. And I remember one time walking in and seeing that there was, I thought he was watching a movie. Right. It was a full on scene. And I had seen the cover of the game and I was like, wait, what is this? And he's like, oh, that's the intro. And like, of course, at 11 years old, he was extremely dismissive of it. But I was like, that's interesting. And now, years yeah. later, the pieces are all dotting together. Now, right. is that still cast through breakdowns? So I do cast it through breakdowns. Others may not. Other mm -hmm. casters may use something different, but that's what I use. And uh, I partner with somebody, a couple other people on some games, and that's what 
we use. So, but the thing is, I think, and I did a panel on this for SAG-AFTRA, um, that I think a lot of agents and managers just need to be educated that video games are not voiceovers only, right? That they are these amazing vehicles for their clients. Because, I mean, talk about great scenes to have on your reel. I mean, they're incredible. So I did a whole panel and had some colleagues join me to really try to educate agents and managers and actors to submit yourself when you see a video game or new media come down the pike, you know, check. I mean, submit yourself anyway if it says voiceover, but really be looking for that motion capture, performance capture, likeness capture. Those kinds of things are going to use you. You know, the performance capture and motion capture, you know, the performance capture, it's going to be your emotions, your, you know, even if they make you, your eyes a different color or your hair made of snakes or whatever, it's still going to be you. Um, and then likeness capture, it's really going to be you. Well, I feel like I, I'm, I'm very involved in union service. Was that at the SAG Foundation, the SAG After Foundation? I believe it was, yes. I'm going to have to look because it may be in their YouTube. Um, yeah, I think it was recorded. And so you'll see me, you'll see um, Tom Keegan, who is, who is just a master video game director. I, I brought on some of my friends that we've, that we've cast, Karen David, who people might know from Walking Dead. She's been a series regular on that for a long time and she's done a lot of games. Elizabeth Brujan, who's a fantastic actress. Nashir Dalal, fantastic actor. You know, we just brought on actors who have done it and, and you know how much they love it. And then a few casting directors in their process. Um, which were all pretty similar in our processes. And then, you know, big, huge celebrities do video games too, obviously. Um, I mean, and I showed a clip that Giancarlo Esposito had, you know, been in one of these games and it's, it's him. You, you could not tell that this was not a film, 100%, wow. you know? So um, yeah, if you, if you can find that link um, to. Yeah, that. I will, I will link that and I'm, I'm sure it's somewhere or I will, bark up a tree until I can find it and I be like I need the link so Lisa outside of casting I've heard that you also are a podcaster behind the mic can you tell us a little bit more about that everybody's a podcaster everybody has a YouTube channel my my twin boys have got like 20,000 views they just told me on their YouTube channel I'm like what <laughs> what are you talking about but anyway yes I do have yeah I better look. Um, so I have a, a really great pod. I think it's a great podcast and it's called Killer Casting, uh, Killer Casting Podcast. And um, I talk about the acting process. I also, because of my personal aesthetic, I just love watching weird and dark and twisty dramas, particularly mm -hmm. British noir. And so I tend to talk about that on my killer casting podcast, TV and film to die for. But I, but I interview a lot of filmmakers and TV makers um, as I'm covering their shows. But I have this one episode, it's episode 14, and I really recommend that any actor listening, any director or producer listening to this, to your show, go and listen to episode 14 because it's, that's the episode where I cover simulated sex on screen, which is a really important thing that actors need to know what their rights are, what the boundaries are, for if you have a love scene or 
you know, even if it doesn't have sex, if it has any kind of sexual content or um, sexualized violence in it, that you are protected and there are boundaries. And even when you're auditioning, even if the role calls for nudity, no, you do not have to audition nude. There are all kinds of things in place now that want, that wants to protect the actors head, heart, body, and yet still have an incredibly passionate performance and a believable performance. But there are definitely things that um, everybody needs to know and things that are in the SAG after contract. And even if you're not SAG after, after if you're non-union or um, if you're somebody in college who are doing these kinds of scenes, you know, behind closed doors, sometimes it can be feel very unsafe, but you're, you kind of just sort of roll with it because, well, you know, this is, I guess this is what's called for in the scene. And those are, those can be really um, vulnerable and challenging situations. So it's just a great episode. I interview Marcy Leroff, who is an intimacy coordinator. She was a casting director for a long time. She cast ET, she cast Mean Girls. So talk about somebody who really understands the business. Um, so she, um, you know, talks about what it's like on sets right now, especially on, you know, sets like Euphoria or sets like The Deuce and, you know, what's in place to protect actors and, and how you can say no or say no, but let's do it this way. <laughs> you know, you That's don't have to be at the mercy, sometimes a very predatory, I'm not talking about anybody working now, but in Hollywood's past or very predatory directors out there who were trying to get a reaction from the actor on set, like a real reaction to sexual content. And it's not okay. Nice. And so, you know, I feel very protective about actors, but I also feel protective about the creative experience and, mm -hmm. and the, um, and the product as well. Um, but so I think any actor should listen to that. And that would be, I think, uh, very helpful. I appreciate that because I have actually, actually been trying to connect with an intimacy coordinator for this season, because I think that that's something that's mm -hmm. so important to showcase everything from the garments to your rights and understanding the process and understanding you know, dressing rooms and on-set robes and closed sets. Yes. That's such a timely conversation that we need to be understanding more and also connecting people to um, the SAG after hotline. Thank you for sharing that. So how you've always loved darker content. How did you decide to bridge that into a podcast? Well, uh, the other thing is I have a true crime podcast that I do with two um <gasps> law enforcement and criminal professionals. So I have a podcast that's called Real Crime Profile. And I started it with Jim Clementi, who was a writer producer on Criminal Minds, which is a very dark and twisty show. But he's a real former FBI agent. He's he's a hero. He, he was, um, you know, part of his caseload was stopping um, child sex trafficking victims and all, all that stuff. So he's seen it all, he really has. And so we would always be talking in the casting room you know, kind of just chatting <laughs> about murder, um, you know, chatting about cases and saying, well, what do you really think about this case? And from your perspective as FBI. So finally I said, you know, Jim, what, you know, would you like to do a podcast with me where I ask you questions um, about cases and you talk about it in long form? Because he's always, he's a lot, you know, a lot of times he's on CNN or he's on SNBC or, or whatever, or Fox or whatever. And he only has like 30 seconds to talk about a case, but I really wanted to give him a long form format and I wanted to ask him questions and talk things through. And then he said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And I have a colleague who is former New Scotland Yard criminal behavioral analyst. So between the two of us and our two experiences and her 
you know, focus and her career has been spent um, passing domestic violence laws and, you know, trying to have a stalker registry. I mean, you know, these are really deeply committed individuals. And so the three of us started this podcast about six years ago. And um, I'm so happy to say that it's been a huge success. It's on the Wondery platform. We've been on there since the beginning. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So anyway, so we talk about every case in the media from Gabby Petito, which, you know, very high profile cases to very obscure cases that you may never have heard of. Um, we take on, you know, Johnny, the, the Depp Heard trial. We take on um, Melissa Lucio, who was on death row um, last month and whose um, execution has been stayed as more information has come out about her case. So we talk about all different kinds of things. And sometimes we talk about documentaries. So we'll cover, you know, Making a Murderer. We'll, we'll, cover, we'll cover all kinds of documentaries and the dramas that are made out of documentaries, right? So right now there's The Staircase, The Dropout. So that kind of has kept me busy for the last seven years. And I just wanted to kind of spin off a, a, my own podcast that just talks about those, you know, dramas that are based on real cases or just, we covered this great Australian um, crime show called Mr. In-Between. So just anything that I see, amazing casting, amazing acting. And I generally like the dark and twisty dramatic material. That's usually what we cover on my podcast, Killer Casting. <laughs> I, this short answer, not. I, I, I don't even know how you have hours in the day. How, uh, how are you <laughs> wrangling twin boys? I don't understand. Um, my hat off to you. Um, I love true crime podcasts. Right. Um, I like every other uh, woman. Just, you know, it's, it's calming just hearing how, you know, safe and good your life is by listening to all yes. of the, the minutia yeah. of um, oh my gosh. Well, I, I have a new, a new podcast to venture to now. Lisa, I could talk to you for another hour. I want to be respectful of your time. You are absolutely delightful. Um, the last question that we ask everybody on the podcast is what is one thing you wish you could go back and tell your younger self? I'm sure everybody has the same answer, but it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. Um, I mean, that's the biggest thing. I would just want to give myself a big, huge hug for all the things that I was had so much anxiety about. And and um, I put so many people in this business on a pedestal and made them seem like these other, you know, I, I would get so nervous, Laura. I mean, I would just, people were so intimidating to me um, because I just saw myself as, you know, weak and not powerful and not talented. And and just, they just seem like, you know, so, and it's so nice as you get older, at least this is the one good thing about getting older, is that that really relaxes and you see people where they are. You see that they're having a bad day. You see that their moms or dads and, and they, I mean, I was just watching, I don't know if you're watching the Queen's Jubilee celebration where Kate Middleton was sitting next to her toddler, King Louis, and he was just being a kid. I mean, he was just With saying, I don't give a fuck if I'm a prince. I'm gonna, you know, do have my whatever. And yeah. that made me just really love her so much more. Like, yeah, she's a mom just like me. I had twin boys that age once and trying to get them to sit still, you know, and you could see her just... I mean, I just really felt for her and it really humanized her and just know that, you know, we all are that, even if we have a facade of 
whatever our business is. So that's something I would have told myself. Everybody does have something different. It sometimes it does start out similar and then the emotion starts taking over to answer that question. Mm -hmm. That's always something really, it's really beautiful and something that someone listening needs to hear. So I hope so. Well, I hope so. Uh, Lisa, I had the most amazing time talking with you and thank you so much for all that you have shared and enriched with our our little creative community. It means more than I can say. Well, thank you for providing this for them. You know, you're you're just doing a great thing by by having people share their experiences. It really demystifies, you know, the whole process and I hope it could be helpful. Thank you so much for such great questions. Hi everyone. Thanks for listening and to my guest today, Lisa Zambetti. We are so glad you're here. Y'all are the best part of our creative community. If you're not already, please join us on our social media at What's My Frame. I'm Laura Linda Bradley, and we'll see you next week.